Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics, who's 2017-2018 run, a miraculous run as it were, uh, has finally come to an end, and John... uh, I think before we went on the air, you said, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Let's get it over with. Um, yeah, we are basically recording post-game. This will go out on Memorial Day morning. But you and I are, are uh, sitting here, instead of basking in the glory, we are um, soaking in our drinks, I guess, so to speak. But at the end of the day... Um, I'll be honest with you. I know we haven't broadcasted since game four's victory or loss when we were down two to two, but after the game home win uh, in game five, three to two, I still was telling everybody that I was talking to, I was like, I just don't like our chances. I just don't feel good about game six on the road. And I definitely don't feel good about game seven at home with LeBron. Now I do have some complaints for the officiating, but that was not as big of a factor as I thought it was going to be and why I was feeling that way about Game 7. Um, at the end of the day, just knocking down, not not hitting three-pointers. I'm looking at you, uh, Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier. Not knocking down those three-pointers certainly was uh, the demise. And had they continued to work it inside, I think they would have been able to get a few more points on and a few more points on, and they might have been able to stake enough of a lead where they were comfortable. But the fact that that had gotten cut down to four at the half, that's when it was foreboding for me. I did not like that look at all. The, the second the second quarter was, I think, where things really started to go off the rails for the Celtics. They played well to start. You know, Cleveland battled back, and then and then really they closed the quarter strong. And you thought, okay, well, maybe they've kind of – pushed back from Cleveland. Now they've learned something. They're ready to get going. In the second half, or I should say the second quarter, Tatum had stuff going a little bit, but the rest of the team felt really tight. Nobody was making shots. That was continuing from the first quarter. And I think, as you said, I mean, that really I think the Celtics kind of put themselves in such a, a, a bad position over and over and over again where they just couldn't generate any consistent offense to speak of, which really was – a consistent issue throughout the season. You know, those long periods where they just can't score. Now, every team has a vice. Every team has something that they're not good at. 
Cleveland couldn't stop anybody. Boston couldn't score on anybody. Unfortunately, it was the Celtics inability to score is really was the, in this game was the issue. And, you know, you thought home floor, you thought, you know, after you know, Rozier shooting so well here in game six, that maybe that would carry over. <laughs> Clearly that didn't happen. You know, Rozier going 0 for 3 from three point land, uh, Jalen going 3 for 12. It's just not good enough. I mean, look, it's just not good enough. And the Celtics, and their no ball offense movement. was so stagnant. No exactly. ball movement. Go ahead. I'm that. just going to yeah. – absolutely. Like, as soon as the three ball wasn't falling, then they weren't getting the spacing and the ball movement stopped. And it's pretty much that simple. And, and Rozier really – I mean, it, Brown is going to take the brunt of this because he wasn't good. Hit some nice defensive stops, but even following on Twitter – He's the one that most of the criticism is going to be leveled at for this loss. You can just see it. But Rozier was equally uh, of an issue. When you saw Marcus Smart come in, and I, I saw you tweeting out during the game, you're like, this is the lineup. This is the lineup. And Marcus Smart probably deserved more minutes and even or even sooner in this game. I know the rest of the Twitterverse and ESPN seem to think that he wasn't smacked up in his nose and in his grill by LeBron on that charge, but it was a, I mean, it was definitely an offensive foul. There's no doubt. And, and, but the game was a physical game. And I think that's part of the reason why the ball movement wasn't there, but it's not entirely. I mean, the two factors being lack of knocking down three pointers and, you know, really it being a physical game are the two biggest reasons why we didn't see this team move the ball as much as they should. But they still had plenty of opportunities. They had that 1-5 pick and roll. We've heard about that a ton at halftime. That was working for him. Horford had an incredible adjustment on a lob from Terry Rozier that wounds up throwing it down. And I know we're going to gobble up the highlight probably for the next five months of Jason Tatum posterizing LeBron James, which was an and one, by the way. It didn't go down that way. And then the ticky-tack fouls on Tatum going the other way. Um, you know, he followed up that dunk with a three-pointer, and you thought that that might be the moment where they really lifted off. I actually think it got into Tatum's head a little bit that he bumped up on LeBron. And uh, and, and maybe after he hit that three-pointer, you know, things kind of sunk in a little bit. Um, do you think Cleveland really played that great of a defense, though? No. This was not on Cleveland's defense. You know, there's going to be a lot of, well, Cleveland, we heard it during the broadcast, you know, Cleveland's defense has really done a great job. Mike Breen, you would know great defense if it, you know, spat in your face and said, "We're my name is great defense. Mike Breen still sucks. Um, no, of course not. This was not, it said nothing to do, there was a lot of great shots the Celtics missed. Now, those things tightened up as the Celtics stopped moving the ball, the shots weren't as great. But you're absolutely right. I mean, they, this was not, or I guess your question kind of belays, I think, what your opinion is, which is that this wasn't about Cleveland's defense. This had nothing to do with Cleveland's defense. The Celtics just couldn't make the shots that they've been making since mid-April. We've got almost six weeks where the Celtics were making these shots on a regular basis. And tonight – you have, you know, you have Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier going three for 22. I mean, that just didn't happen. You know, that didn't happen anywhere else. Smart was one for 10 from the field. You know, and those things, you take that backcourt and their inability to get any buckets, any buckets at all. And, you know, that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's 79 points. I mean, you looked at the score of this game. It was like, am I, if I got on a time machine, I'm back in, you know, 
1996 again, and we're back to the, you know, the Heat Knicks days and of terrible, you know, dragging out basketball. This had nothing to do with LeBron James. This had nothing to do with the Cleveland Cavaliers, really. That's a really good point. The Celtics couldn't make shots. Bottom line, end of story. If this, if you told the Celtics before this game that they were going to hold Cleveland Cavaliers to 87 points, they would start putting, you know, popping the champagne bottles and getting fitted for their Eastern Conference Finals champions hats and t-shirts. That's it. Yeah. I was just going to say, LeBron, he definitely had some big shots, but they did execute the way they wanted to on LeBron. In game six, obviously he went off, but he was gassed in game five. Um, I thought they should have made it a little bit harder on LeBron in game six. I kind of wanted Bain still out there. I wanted it to get physical for him just to wear him out. But we get to game seven, and I thought they did an excellent job. I mean, they really kept him in check for the most part. I mean, he hit a big three, hit a couple of timely shots, but he had to do everything for this Cavaliers team through most of this game and still really didn't fully dominate the way that LeBron is capable of dominating a game, which means the Celtics did all the right things defensively. It does fall on the offense. It's really unfortunate because this one was well within their grasp, even with the, you know, benefit that LeBron usually gets. I mean, even then, what did he have? Four fouls? I mean, as much as I, as much as, as much as I can be upset about that part of the officiating, you kind of had to say many other teams wouldn't have gotten the benefit that the Celtics did. So as far as history goes, they, they were, they benefited well. I think the real complaint comes down to Al Horford just not, I mean, no contact. I mean, Tatum got hit several times too, but he's a rookie. I, and, and I don't agree with it in the league. I've never been a fan of, you know, uh, reputation calls and all of that drives me crazy. But, but Tatum's a rookie. We all got to know going into this game, that's the way it is. The disrespect for Horford down in the post and the way that he's able to be fouled and they don't care and they just let it go, that's frustrating. That's that's probably – if there was a disparity in the officiating for me, that's where it lied, and, and I definitely found that um, a little bit – a little bit aggravating, not even in just in this game, but throughout the postseason, I feel like that's been the case. But I'll let you have a follow in a second, John. First, a reminder to everybody, you can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter, at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host. Follow me, at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke, the entire CLNS Media Network, at CLNS Media. Facebook.com slash CLNS fans, and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. And finally, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media. High definition and the last of the full-length locker room interviews and the garden report. So make sure you head over there uh, and catch up the game wrap from Game 7 there at the Boston Garden so or TD Bank Garden. So, John, what's your thoughts on the Horford thing? Because it seemed to be plaguing us throughout the postseason. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's, there's no respect there. And part of it is just the way he's shooting it. He's not, he's falling away. He's not, oftentimes he's not, you know, going through contact, you know, whereas LeBron is going through contact and so it earns the whistle. Yeah. But there's times in this game in particular, but we saw it throughout, but, but in particular this game where he just can't, he, he can't buy it. He can't buy it. And I'm okay with, with 
the officials swallowing the whistle in a seventh game more so than, uh, you know, normal. Uh, I don't really want to bring up the 2010 finals right now. This is probably the most painful loss for the Celtics since that night. Um, so uh, <laughs> this is still a little bitter, but I think that, you know, there's, I don't think this is nearly on the officials as much, but that, that the disrespect that Horford probably is receiving on a number of calls is hard to take. It is hard to take. I think the, the real concern I have is, you know, for, for six games, Tatum and, and Brown were being held around every screen, every, you know, action that they were running and no calls. We're just going to swallow that. And I think, you know, just to your point uh, earlier, which is, well, you're not going to give those guys respect. You can't have a real league if you can't make that call. I mean, if you can't just blindly look at whoever it is and, and then not worry about it, you know, and make the call as it occurs, then, then that's what you should be doing. But over and over again, we see that's not the case. And, you know, I'll point the, the finger at the, the Marcus Smart drawn charge where clearly he made, there's contact made with the elbow on Smart's face. That I think everyone sees that you could argue whether or not he embellished or not. But there was a foul there that was called. Everyone, like, what, what, what is Marcus Smart's flopping again? Slow down. <laughs> How many fouls has LeBron not gotten called for? He only got four fouls called on him through this whole game. And clearly, whether it's the Rosier block that, that they didn't call a foul, but probably should have been, or on and on and on we go, he gets the benefit of the, of the doubt on those things. And it's just, the inconsistency between what Al Horford has done and what what LeBron James is doing, you can't have a fair game if you're not calling the same game, whether they're a rookie, they're Al Horford, or they're LeBron James. Bottom line, you can't have a fair game in that case. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And the thing, too, is we all get so frustrated with LeBron because he's constantly got his hands in the air. He's constantly looking at the refs. He made that great block, and it disgusted me, and I think it – I can't remember which announcer. It might have been Mark Jackson. Somebody, it might have been Van Gundy. But somebody said he he stayed down the other end of the floor, didn't even go play offense, and it was stayed a there. Block. Right, it was a rosier block, block. But I right, but I can't remember who. Block. Yeah, but I can't remember who. Yeah, who on ESPN? The announcer was like, I, I love it. LeBron James just standing back on D and staring him down through the whole offensive possession. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. You, you're gonna, you're, you think that's a good thing? <laughs> that the best player on the team on offense doesn't hustle down and play offense? Like that's the most, I can't remember which one of them said it, but I it thought was that Mark was, Jackson. It was Mark Jackson. I thought yeah, so. Yeah. Cause they were arguing about whether or not Rozier should have dunked it or tried to dunk it and, yeah, it was Jackson. And, you know, and shame on the Celtics. If you're playing five on four, how the heck can you give up a foul on the other end? Yeah, totally. No, I, it, you know, I, I, I we're going to pivot this. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about this game. We're going to pivot a little bit to the, to the postseason. Cause I think, well, people want to talk about the game and talk about what happened in the series. They're going to want, they need a little bit of sunshine. They need to think about Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward joining that group on the floor to close. And knowing that if, you know, Jalen and, and Rozier aren't making their shots, you've got, you know, a guy who hit maybe the biggest three since Ray Allen's shot, 
um, on your team, joining your team and healthy and, and Gordon Hayward, who, you know, certainly can do a lot of things out there and, and, and make things work. And you can't switch on to him and create an incredible size mismatch or not a much more uh, size mismatch. I mean, there's just so many ways in which this is going to work better this year. But for this series and what happened in, in these seven games, it felt like to me the Celtics, they ran, they ran out of their offense. They ran out of – that motion style that made them so good. And part of that was they cut their rotation down. They tried to work so hard into trying to find those mismatches. And then they'd fall out of those mismatches. We, there was a play uh, early, you know, late in the second quarter. So let's call a timeout shortly thereafter. Rozier, you know, Jalen, and I think Tatum all touched the ball on the perimeter. Tatum is pointing the ball, pointing down to Horford. Horford's got you know, George Hill in a mismatch on the opposite block. The ball has swung to the left side. Jalen's got it. And then I think he kicks it back to Rosier and Rosier takes a kind of a, a bad jumper. It was that type of thing where playoff basketball, you've got to recognize the mismatch. And over and over and over in this series, Cleveland recognized the mismatch that they had and they took advantage of it. They got the Rosier mismatch and then they worked off of that or on any number of different occasions, that savvy, the veteran savvy that Cleveland had, it wore out over, over seven games. The Cleveland Cavaliers are not a better team than the Boston Celtics, but they're better in executing who they are and what they are. And that's why veteran teams win these series. It's why why you should pick Cleveland to win these series. But Boston was better. Boston proved they're going to be there. Uh, Boston did everything they needed to do except make shots in the seventh game. If if Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown hit three more threes, you know, and they shoot – instead of shooting three for 22, they shoot five for 22, so let's win the game. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So yeah. let's win the game. Make three of those. If they went five for twenty-two instead of three for twenty-two, still horrendous. They win the game. That's tough. Yeah, that's the, take. absolutely. You're right. If they had hit any of those three pointers and really two different players, there was a whole narrative out there about trade Kyrie. We've got Rozier and Smart. Right? It's let's over. open up that. Yeah, that conversation and shut down a hundred percent, no doubt. <laughs> Because honestly, just one other player on this team being able to, you know, really get it done down the stretch. And that was why everybody, the crowd was quiet. We all knew it. There's not a big enough lead to win game seven because we've only, we don't have a go-to player. And then we thought that that go-to player emerged with about six minutes to go halfway through the fourth quarter, right? And it's the dunk on LeBron. It's a big three pointer. And you're like, let's ride Tatum. But, they put a lot of pressure on Tatum from that point on, right? Because you still didn't have right. what you needed to spread the ball around. Kyrie is somebody that would have been awesome to have him out there. And and truthfully, uh, you know, Brown or Rozier have played in that moment. But I think I tweeted this out at one point was that, you know, Brown Brown's had a bad game. I think the worst thing is that I think Brown realizes he's had a bad game, like in the game. And I feel like that just – became a cycle for him that he was having a hard time breaking out of and really is evidenced by that just totally crazy three-point shot as the game was already well in hand for Cleveland and he drops in a swish from the corner and it's like yep you just they just played too tight I think some of them mm-hmm. definitely not Tatum 
But, totally. But but Rozier and Brown just played too tight, too cautious. You know, Smart was out there doing what Smart does, but but you need Brown and and Rozier with that confidence and and playing loose to to win a game seven like this. But but let's look at let's look at and that's why this this was an important run. Okay, now I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna put my you know good ship lollipop. No, I'm uh, with you. Great no. learning lesson. Absolutely. Look, abs- we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll put the sulking behind us for game seven and say that's lessons right. young players need to learn. Even so let's even Tatum bumping up on LeBron. Right. A, le- a lesson to be learned. He had his hands in the air. He looked a lot like LeBron down the stretch, and um, you know that's well, that's stuff we all gotta learn. I mean. <laughs> The fouls, the touch stuff that they're calling on Tatum. I mean, look, this is this is where the game's got to change because you can you you breathe hard on somebody's ear and it's a foul on the perimeter. But you can, and I'm not just talking about Al Horford. This is really any part of the game. You need guys like Baines to bang somewhat with players on the post. That inconsistency is a problem in today's game. They need to figure that out because that's part of the reason why you can run, you know, LeBron at five, at the five, and then, you know, four guards and wings. Is it fun? Yes. But what we ended up with, I don't think this series was all that enjoyable to watch because all of Cleveland's offense amounted to was switching on to to Rozier and having him try to back him down, back him down, back him down. I mean, we're back to 1995 you know, uh, or 1997, having Charles Barkley backing guys down from the three-point arc. I mean, that's, no, that's a great point. Ugly that, ball. That's a great point. On offense, when it, when the Cleveland didn't have it going, it just went to LeBron, and he literally just – it was like what a power forward would do in the 80s and 90s to get – well, no, really more than 90s – to get their back to the basket close enough to get their shot off. Only he's starting out at the, the three-point line. And just bang, bang, bang. And you're right. It's not exciting basketball. Um, and, and truthfully, if the Celtics had hit three pointers today, uh, it would have been, it would have been exciting because it would have opened things up. And that's what the league really wants. And it's also part of the reason why, you know, everybody's a lot more entertained by the Western Conference. And I think, I think the way that this Celtics team, just to put that, you know, uh, green color glasses back on and half full the rest of the show. I do think that, you know, the, the Celtics are designed to be a team like that, especially with Kyrie back at the helm and, you know, a number of young guys, but particularly Tatum and, uh, and still having Horford, et cetera. I think the ball movement's going to be out spectacular next well, year, but real well, quick first, if you wear contacts, then you know how annoying it is to have to get a prescription year after year just to be able to buy more contacts. And uh, I think the officials in tonight's game could... uh... Anyway, Simple Contacts is changing all of that by using technology to make renewing your prescription and buying contacts super, well, simple. And here's how it works. Using your phone or computer, you can take the Simple Contacts vision test in five minutes, literally anywhere. And a real doctor will review your test in 24 hours, write you a new prescription, and boom, a fresh supply of your brand new lenses on the way to your door. No more appointments, no more waiting rooms, no more overpaying. Simple Contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are, whenever you need it. It was super easy for me. I travel all the time. I got 
low on the contacts. I really didn't have time in my schedule to be able to go over and have the appointment. And sure, and lo and behold, Simple Contacts says they want to sponsor Celtic Stuff Live. I'm able to go online. I did all of it, just like they said, super fast. Within a day, I had contacts on the way, and I needed them. It was, it was just really an unbeatable experience that way. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses. Their prices are fantastic. The prescription is just $20. The lens prices are super competitive. Shipping is free. And best of all, our listeners get $30 off their first Simple Contacts order. So to save $30 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or enter the code CSL18 at checkout. I do have to mention, though, that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those occasionally, but it's most it's the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts. Get $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or just enter the code CSL18 at checkout. Give it a try and thank me later. And, John, I cut you off there, but I'll let you pick it right back up. Well, I I think what 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 you had said is that, and you were kind of going that down that road. You take a game like this a year from now. I'm not saying the Eastern Conference Finals, but you have a game when Rozier's not hitting his shots, and you've got Brown not hitting his shots. You have more options available to you. You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that Gordon Hayward's going to play every game. I'm not saying that that Kyrie Irving's going to be playing every game, but. You know, you've got options in that case, you know, and, and there's going to be times when someone's going to sit because someone's got it going on, whether it's Rozier's got it going on and you play him next to, um, you know, next to Kyrie or you've got, you know, Brown's doing well and you're going to sit. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of different things. The Celtics were playing with a ridiculous, ridiculous, forget the names are Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and Daniel Tice. <laughs> Shane Larkin. I mean, forget who who we're talking about here. The Celtics were playing seven guys. There was no going to the eighth guy. You are not going to Semi Ojale. You are not going to Abdel Nader. You're not going to Morris. I mean, excuse me, to Monroe. I mean, there was no other option. So those guys missing those shots, there was no plan B for for Brad Stevens. No, do you that, think they got gassed? Put it out there. We talked about LeBron getting gassed, but do you think this team got gassed? I do. Yeah. I mean, I think you shorten the rotation of seven guys. You're playing every other day for, for a week straight. Uh, after playing for, you know, what, eight months straight. Uh, and a lot was on those guys. A lot was on them. I don't think that's why they lost the game. I think they just missed shots, but I think that, I think for, personally, I think the moment got to Brown, and I think the moment yeah, got to Rosier. Totally, that's that's totally what I think happened as well. I'm I'm with you 100. percent Did they, maybe they got a little gassed? Yeah, I'm, fatigue is always setting in, but pretty young, pretty young group. Usually they they rise over that. But I do I agree with you 100. percent I think the moment got in Rosier and Brown's head. It got in between their ears, and that's really where they struggled in the game. And um, it's but again, as you mentioned, it's a learning lesson. This is. This is a really young team, and truthfully, 
Rozier will be able to be that spark plug off the bench. We're going to start talking very soon about what happens to Marcus Smart, right? Like this is right around the corner. There's a lot of decisions to be made. Draft night, I'm sure we'll have another draft night show this year, even though the Celtics aren't going to be picking very high. This was a draft that we had our eyes on. So there's there's a lot to be coming. The rumors, Carl Anthony Towns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be filling up the off season, but I got to tell you, and and this isn't just short term sentiment, you know, from what just happened over the year and et cetera. But I I don't want him to trade anybody. I'm perfectly happy. I understand that probably when Brown and Tatum's contracts come up, they're going to be in a little bit of a pinch. Um, they might only be able to sign one of them. It kind of depends. I can't remember how it lines up exactly with Al Horford's contract, but. I don't want them to trade anybody. I want to keep these young players. I know that they got a difficult decision on Marcus Smart and he'll, if they, if they don't make a trade, he's likely gone just because of the finances. But, but I really, you know, as far as Brown, Tatum, trading, consolidation, it's the first time in a long time. I want to stand pat and see what happens next year. I think that's what ends up happening. I think they're going to stand pat. I think they'll stand pat. I think they'll try to run back Smart. I think they'll try to run back Rozier. And see do you what think they can, they can do. afford smart? I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I, I, it sounds like it's it's close, and you know, as long as they're not bringing back Monroe, um, if, if he's just signed the qualifying offer, that's not a whole lot more than what he's making right now. So they can absolutely afford smart next year. The question is, does he does he get an offer sheet? And I can't imagine there's anybody out there right now who has a lot of money to spend and wants to bring in Marcus Smart and be the centerpiece. In this cap environment, I don't think it exists. So Definitely not the centerpiece. Definitely not the centerpiece. I think the question is, do the Celtics want to trade Rozier now at his highest trade value that it will be? Or do they wait until maybe the deadline and try to flip him at that point? I just... I think that's really the only question in my mind is is whether or not they for go a that pick route. Then is that you know? Yeah, I think that's probably your best bet is to try to get a pick, try to get a young player to add uh, to this team that that can you know, maybe somebody in the front court specifically, and try to find a way to to make that work. Um, you, know, you could combine it with your own pick, combine it with a Memphis pick, try to get in the top ten. There's a lot of talented big men, and this is a team. You know, that really doesn't have a lot of long-term big men. I mean, you know, we're going into a year. Al Horford, this could be Al Horford's last year if he doesn't want to opt in. Um, you know, this is his third year of his contract that he's coming into a four-year deal. And the last year is, is a, is a player option. So there's, there's some, he's some Al still Horford picking up that option stuff. though. Just, I mean, there's, it, well, cause I, what you think you really a why would he leave he can't really make that much more money at that point right i mean he might be looking for an extension but i would think he would play out his last year are you thinking he thinks he can get one more big one more big deal if he opts out i think after the the philly series wherein he made the anointed next of uh, you know supernova person uh look like a complete fool I think that that probably has some value out there in the marketplace. Now he's 32. So, you know, he's got, he's got next year and then he's got an option year, you know, just like Kyrie basically. So, you know, you, you got to think, you know, Kyrie is, you know, obviously a year away from free agency. 
I can't imagine they're going to do anything with him. Uh, Al's probably set. I think they're probably going to end up probably just extending Al and, and giving him a, a make good contract. Not a make good contract, but a, a lower probably annual salary, but some longer, um, you know, a longer term, uh, than maybe he might get on the market. We'll see. We'll see what happens. His, his well, market's very interesting. But, because but then you're right. you're right. They could they could sign him to a longer deal than anybody would really yeah. want to, bring the numbers down and use that to bolster the bench. And like the Saul. The Saul is the is is kind of the comp where he's gotten these longer deals from uh for first Chicago but also from San Antonio. Maybe not as much money at the top end, but longer years, and that's given him a little bit more flexibility, but also it gives him maybe uh you know, some more consistency in what he could be getting as an older big man. Well, but, and he'd be able to play on a team that's still going to be good because right. you know, you've got all that youth, and that's really the that's really the deal is they've got to be able to resign those guys. So maybe that's worth it to him is to say, listen, I like the coach, I like the chemistry, I like the squad, so I'll take a little bit less money, but I want all that money made up tacked on to the end of the contract, then I know I'm just going to be here. And truthfully, if he gets that kind of, if he gets that kind of duration on the contract, he knows he's going to be playing for the mid-level exception and all that in his later thirties, right? He's not going to be getting, you know, big, big contracts at that point. So, you know, what, what is it to him, you know, other than guaranteed money now versus spread out? I think he would definitely do it. Um, I like where you're going with that. I, what about Kyrie though? I mean, I would think it's kind of a dicey thing because you would have thought that the extension would have been negotiated this summer. And then we have all this injury stuff. I think it's, I think it's still a safe play. I mean, it sounds like the, sounds like the surgery was really something that should have been maintenance and slightly complicated rehab. But I don't know that there's really a big time concern about his ability to come back full. Fully, I mean, if he was a leaper, like out of the, out of the gym jumper and that was how his game was, you know, impacted, then I'd be nervous, right? If his, if his game was all athleticism, and I'm not saying he's not an athlete, he is, but there's so much he does with the ball and the athleticism isn't necessarily just quickness or jumping. A lot of it is knowledge of the game. You know, his masse has got that, you know, ability to just put spin on the ball. Those are things that I don't think go away. And so he could be a safe play for extension this summer just fine. Do you think they'll work towards that extension despite the surgery? Uh, I don't think they'll do anything until next year, I honestly. I think that I think they'll go through the year. Not to say they don't trust the surgery. Not to say they don't trust that that his knee's healing fine. I think it probably is doing just fine. Uh, you know, obviously there was an issue. You and I talked about, you know, the whether or not the, you know, whether there's some infection in there, what have you. It seems though that's that's gonna that was the primary concern. I don't think that's going to be the issue. I think it's more of a question of okay, where are we going from here? And I think we got to talk a lot about Tatum and Brown. Brown not shooting the wall well, sure, but he's 21 years old. Okay. LeBron wasn't doing this stuff when he's 21. You know, Tatum is, is 19. Now he's 20. What he's doing is, I mean, amazing. 
Okay. No, he's a total keeper. We, he's, you've got to he's talk got about the, those guys are the center He's got the, the cojones, team. dude. They're the, they're oh, the team. Yeah, they are. All right? They are the team. So everything you're doing now, to me, is built around that. It's not built around Kyrie. It's not built around Hayward. And it's not built around Horford. Those two guys are the centerpiece of what this is. And I don't think that's just what have I seen lately. I just saw, you know, Jalen Brown go, you know, Whatever, uh, three for her 12, okay, from three point land, probably his worst game of the playoffs by far. But those two guys are the centerpiece. Yeah, but how many games did he knock down 15 points in the first quarter and set him, set the tone? And, you know, yeah, absolutely. There's, they, they need an opportunity to develop together. And it's all predicated on what they've been trying to do here, which is all of that length, athleticism, switchability, and they do different things well. I was surprised too, just gonna tack this on, but nobody really saw Tatum as a defender. And I thought he played fantastic defense in this series. But all year long, the blocking of the shots, there was, I mean, there are moments where there were breakdowns for sure. But by and large, he's a way better defender than advertised. You know, I thought we were always oh, gonna yeah. be talking about Tatum's the offensive piece and Brown's the defensive piece. And then Brown wound up having a much more complete offensive package this year for the most part when he was knocking down threes and he was a little bit more controlled in his drives to the paint. Although that definitely, again, bad on both accounts in game seven, but I thought he was going to be kind of the defensive specialist and Tatum was going to be the offensive guy. And each one of them has a lot more elements to the other end of the court than I think we realized either of them had. Yeah. I just, Sorry, I just got struck by what, what the hell just happened tonight. Sorry, I just got, I lost my train of thought. I had a good answer to your comment, but I just, it just hit me. Oh, you just hit you. Like you really realize that it's the season's over, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. What, where, where are you headed with that, Justin? I was just. Yeah, no, it's all good. Oh, uh, frig. Just taught, yeah, dude, it's a bummer. It's a bummer because this is a pretty, uh, this is a fun year. It was a we fun year. And to imagine them. So terribly. To imagine so terribly. them in the finals. Yeah, it was really a bummer yeah. of a game. It we wasn't exciting. Close. Nobody around the league, like, I know, you want to you wanna be positive, dude, but I just don't think tonight's the night. Because nobody around this league watched that and went, ooh, I can't wait. Other than the Tatum moment, nobody was watching that game tonight outside of New England going, oh, I can't wait for – the Celtics to be in it next year with, you know what I mean? Cause that's the entertainment value was low. It was real. I mean, I'm just, and I'm not trying to kick the crap out of our guys, you know, because it's, it's been a very oh. entertaining season, the comeback victories, the storylines, so many good things, but you know, that's not what you want a game seven to look like. There isn't anybody in the league who wanted to watch a game seven like that tonight. No, but you, you know, look, I mean, this was, yeah, this wasn't the most attractive game, but that's what happens in a league where the three point shot is, is what it is. I mean, that it's, if you get teams that just go cold, you know, they go cold and look, the Celtics are good at making teams miss three pointers. We've talked about that all through the season. So that's, that's not a surprise that the Celtics couldn't hit the broad side of the bar, particularly their, their, their backcourt. That was probably the bigger issue going into it, and that they didn't have enough guys who could shoot them. I mean, that's the other thing. Horford took one. I mean, how many three pointers did he have in that series? 
You know, I mean, that was a, that was a key play for them in both the Milwaukee and Philly series. They could not get him open on the arc at all. I mean, give, I'll say this. Let's give Cleveland credit in terms of how they defended Horford. While he had a great, you know, start of the series, they were able to really take him out of his ability to pick and pop. And by taking that away, it took a big part of the Celtics offense with it. Now they're not going to have that, that luxury next season because the Celtics are going to have more dangerous shooters and probably the most devastating uh, guy going from, from top of the key to the basket in the league in Kyrie Irving. So it's not going to work the way they, they had it working this year. Um, but. You know, look, here we are and, and we've got, uh, you know, I think a great, a great run. We got way more out of this. I know you don't want it, you know, <laughs> I know people are frustrated, but I'm going to try to pick it up because look, when we, dude, you're all over in, the map. You're back dude, and forth. <laughs> dude, five minutes in, five minutes into the series, this whole season, Right? I mean, it was over, right? We're just like, let's hope we just make the playoffs so we all get something out of it. And by the end, we've got Jason Tatum yammering in in LeBron James' face in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, we got way more out of this season than we should have ever expected. We kept saying Even if everyone was healthy, here's what's if we were in Game 7 with LeBron, yeah. we would have felt pretty good about where that left us. The fact that what happened and where that puts us we are so far ahead of the curve. We're so far ahead of Philly. We're so far ahead of Milwaukee. And we're so far ahead of a Cleveland team that was gasping and begging for us to put it out of its misery. We are in good shape, folks. We're in good shape, Celtics fans. It sucks tonight. It really sucks because you know three more three-pointers and we're going to the finals. And with a chance to beat the Houston Rockets with old CP3 on one leg. It could happen. Now it could be the Warriors too, and you lose by fifty in every game. But there are so many opportunities here. There is this is not. I know we want to look at and say, what if, what if, what if, what if this happened to the Celtics? They should have done this. They should have look. Realistically, the fact we get out of the first round was a huge plus. We put a big hurt in our biggest rival long term by winning the second round series, and in the third series we went toe to toe with LeBron James. We took him to seven games. And Philip with know, a three-two not lead, not this short, but this short. Yeah, no, Absolutely. you're you're right, and we've basically run out of time. But I think you summed it up nicely. You know, we we said well, there was a couple of things that we said over the course of the year, but at the very beginning of the postseason, you said we're playing with house money, which I totally agreed with, and you know everything everything from here on out's kind of gravy on top because. You know, six minutes into the year, we thought the season was over in many respects. Then they wound up being one of the best defensive teams in the league. They totally carved out to a league-leading record through a third of the season. It was incredible. And then we get into the postseason and the Milwaukee series. I mean, I almost turned off the play. I almost turned off the postseason for that one, as you know. But, you know, we also said after those two matchups against Houston, that, boy, this would be a great finals. Of course, we would have thought that Kyrie was playing. But, boy, what a different spin on the finals if it were Houston and Boston. And we really almost got a chance to see that, which would have been really amazing. So I guess what I'm looking forward to, and then we'll wrap the show, next season, uh, and we'll talk about 
you know, a lot of this in the off season. We've got many shows between now and, and training camp again coming up. But I think, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just thinking Kyrie, Brown, Tatum, Hayward, Horford. I really think that starting five is going to do, I mean, look at it. Your fifth option is Brown. And this is a guy that was scoring 20 to 30 points a night, getting you through the postseason. Uh, that's fantastic to think that he might be the fifth option. Uh, I mean, probably he'll be the fourth option because Horford's so selfless, but, but that's an amazing, we talked about this game seven not having enough offense, but you take this, you take those two players, add them back into this mix. You think about that starting five. Offense is not going to be the issue. They're going to be able to explore for the hot hand every single night. They're going to be rested. Nobody's going to have to do what LeBron has had to do year after year with that Cleveland Cavaliers team. And that's going to be exciting basketball, especially because I think they're all bought into, you know, what Brad is, uh, what Brad's teaching with the whole team unity. Everybody, everybody plays together and, that's going to be exciting for next year. You and I will be back next week. I think we're going to have CLNS Media founder Nick Gelso joining us to wrap the season, take a look at the off season. Not sure we're going to see the fireworks this year the way we have, but there's definitely some stuff on the table there. I hope they don't do it. I hope it's the most boring off season in history for the Boston Celtics when we come back next year and we take this what could have been and these what ifs that have been plaguing our dialogue this entire season and put it into fruition for next year. But that's going to do it for this week's show. As a reminder, the broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember, you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.